Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you, even those of you up there in the bird's nest. You know, it's uh, uh, great to see everyone here this morning. And uh, thank you for the uh, wonderful warm welcome you've given to Sandy and me. We uh, really appreciate it. We've been looking forward to getting to know you and what God's doing in your lives. We're all on a journey, aren't we? And uh, uh, many of us are at different levels in our journey, different roads that we've been on. Uh, but the most important thing is we have come here to see Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And uh, this is the key that I want us to focus our attention on uh, as we're together, not only today, but as the Lord leads throughout a period of time as the Lord directs us. The key is always keeping our eyes on Jesus. I'll talk to you a little bit more about uh, uh, my background this evening, but I come from a whole family of preachers. Uh, my dad was a pastor. Sandy's dad was a pastor. I have a brother that's a pastor. I have an uncle that's a pastor. I have a cousin that is the chairman of the Old Testament department at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, he's in all of this Old Testament, you know, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. Make. And uh, actually in his spare times, he, he, he likes to translate Ugaritic. Uh, so that's, I mean, he's, 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 he's in a whole different sphere than I am. But uh, we're all part of uh, different denominations. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I have a cousin that was in the Presbyterian Church, and we're in all different walks of life. Whenever we get together as a family and start talking about theology, I just tell them they'll understand better by and by. And uh, so that's kind of how it works. But we are just thrilled. This, uh, we've been on this interim journey for about the last eight years. Uh, we bought a house out in... Phoenix, Buckeye, Arizona, about eight, now almost eight and a half years ago, we've lived there about three months. And uh, we've been in that meantime in Nebraska, two churches in California. Our last church was in Indiana. And so we've been on a kind of an exciting journey. But the wonderful thing is we get to meet so many wonderful people. And I've already had the privilege of meeting many of you and look forward to the opportunity tonight and I'll share with you a little bit more about our journey and, and a little bit more about IPM. And then we'll be looking forward to just interacting with you. I want it to be a conversation tonight. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to come back and to share with us then. This morning I want you to take your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians is one of my favorite books its focus is on the supremacy of Christ. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Uh, but this morning we want to take a look at the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossian believers. It's probably one of the most significant prayers in the entire Bible. And uh, as you have been going through a lots of transition and change, uh, the most important thing that we can do as the people of God is to seek God's direction in prayer. Actually, the starting point for getting our directions from God is prayer. And it's so important that we keep our focus and our eyes upon Him. And so, uh, this morning I want us to read this passage uh, uh, together. Uh, it's uh, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And... Uh, 
I know probably have some different translations, so you just follow along as I read this morning. And uh, for those of you that can, I always like to, to stand at attention when we read the Word of God. So would you, if you're able to, please stand as we read the Scripture and you follow along in your Bibles. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit, allow your truth to penetrate our minds and our hearts. We want to hear from you in these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. On one occasion, an individual who many uh, understood to be the most brilliant of all thinkers who ever lived decided to take a business trip. And as he left the train station uh, in Princeton, uh, he began to kind of settle into his seat, and of course the conductor went through the aisles clicking tickets uh, to make sure that every passenger had a ticket. And so what occurred is that uh, he was clicking the tickets, and he got to this gentleman, and he asked for his tickets, and uh, this incredible thinker, he went through all of his pockets, and he couldn't find his ticket, and he opened up his briefcase and it was just a mess of papers and, and uh, pencils and all kinds of mathematical instruments, but he couldn't find his ticket. Finally looked at the seat beside him, still couldn't find the ticket. And so the conductor said, sir, I know you, who you are. Uh, I'm sure you purchased a ticket, don't worry about it. And so that kind of settled uh, the traveler down and the conductor went on to keep on clicking the tickets. He's just about ready to go into the other car to finish the job, and what happens is he looks back and he sees this renowned individual on his hands and knees on the floor looking for his ticket. And he runs back, he runs back to this man, he says, oh, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Just relax. Dr. Einstein looked at the young man and he said, Young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <coughs> and directions really are important. If we want to have directions from God, we need to seek Him in prayer. Unlike Dr. Einstein, Paul and the Colossians understand where they're going. In fact, in these opening verses, beginning at verse 4 and 5, he says that they're on their way to heaven. 
They're heaven-bound because they have put their faith and their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul continues to introduce himself to them, he reminds them that more than anything else, he has been praying for them. He prays on a regular basis for the Colossians. Notice in verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. That word prayer is in the present tense, which means he's in the habit of praying. Whenever he goes before the Father, he is reminded of the faces of the Colossians. And every single day, he remembers them in prayer. He pours out his heart to God repeatedly, habitually on their behalf. Notice also, he not only prays repeatedly, he prays thankfully. Notice he says, we thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. One of the most important aspects of prayer is thanksgiving. Oftentimes, that's the part of praying that we kind of let go. We're always asking God for something. Do this, do this for me. Paul prayed with thanksgiving. And he was so thankful for the incredible work that the Holy Spirit had done in the lives of the Colossians. In verses 4 through 8, he's thankful for their progressive faith, their powerful love, their positive hope, and their productive life. He understands that the people that he is praying for have been genuinely born from above. They are new creations in Jesus Christ. And so they are the key targets of his prayer as he daily prays with thanksgiving. And then thirdly, he prays specifically for them. And here we come to verse 9. For this reason, because they have experienced new life in Jesus Christ, for this reason, since the day we heard about it, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, and underline these words, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you don't know what to pray for, pray this prayer. So many times we don't know what to be praying for, but Paul says he had one prayer in mind that he was praying for the Colossians, and that is that they would be fully supplied, filled to the brim with a knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, it's so important that we come to that place where we're no longer depending upon ourselves when we face difficult circumstances and difficult people. We come to that place where we are totally reliant upon Him. And far too many of us try to make it on our own because we haven't followed God's direction. We haven't asked for his leadership and to be filled with a knowledge of his will. Now, I like to talk about affirming God's will rather than finding God's will if it's, if it's hidden someplace. You know, you don't have to go looking for God's will. You need to affirm it. God's will, God will for every single one of us as that we live a life worthy of the gospel. If you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have experienced a transformation that transforms the way you think, the way you act, your attitudes, your actions. Everything in life changes once we come into a new transformative relationship with Jesus. And there have been many 
formulas for affirming the will of God. Some think you need some kind of a Damascus Road experience like the Apostle Paul. My mentor at Trinity, Dr. Perry, used to say that we can uh, affirm God's will through the Word, through the witness of the Spirit, and also through the works of providence. Uh, George Mueller, great Bible teacher of another generation, said we can know God's direction in our lives by surrendering the self-will, studying the Bible, considering the circumstances, and praying. Most important part of affirming God's will is to seek God's will in prayer. To understand that our help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. He is the one that we need to be seeking as we want to follow his directions. And as these new believers needed to be filled with a knowledge of God's will so they could be strong in God's grace and also fight off the Gnostics that were seeking to detract them from their belief that Jesus Christ is God. In fact, Paul addresses this in the following paragraph where he speaks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is to be preeminent in all things. And so his prayer for them is that they be unceasing uh, in seeking and affirming God's will in their lives. I don't believe any of us can be successful in the Christian life, which, by the way, is the best life to live, is it not? The Christian life is the best life to live, but the way to live it is by being in prayer and allowing God to work in our hearts and to draw us to that place of full uh, dependency upon Him. And when we affirm God's will in prayer, we can, we can overcome the attacks of the evil one, and we can also expect some incredible results. The first result of being filled with a knowledge of God's will is that we will have a life of purpose. Notice the text. He says in verse 9, asking you that you will be filled with a knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this, put a circle around, in order that, there's the purpose, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. We pray that God will fill us with the fullness of the knowledge of his will so that we can live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus. That word worthy literally means to carry the same weight as that of the Lord Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, he impacted others. As Christ followers, he wants our lives to carry the very same weight as that of the Lord Jesus. That's, that, that's almost impossible to do. And yet that's what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to blend into the culture and, and allow the world to set our standards. He wants us to be so in love with him that our lives carry the same weight as that of the Lord Jesus. That, that is a goal that all of us need to be seeking after. Is my life carrying that kind of impact, that kind of of influence and when we are actually living that way there are several implications number one we're going to be a help rather than a hindrance uh, we'll be an encourager we'll seek to build others up we'll look for opportunities to make others look good one of my favorite basketball players was Magic Johnson 
Magic Johnson played for the Lakers back in the 80s when they were world champions. We lived in Pacific Palisades at that time. We'd go down and see the Lakers play. In those days, you could get tickets for 10 bucks. And we'd go down and we'd watch the Lakers. Well, Pat Riley, actually his wife came to our church, and Pat Riley was talking about Magic Johnson, and this is what he said about Magic. He said, Magic always brings out the best in others. When he's on the court, others look good. There's something about the way in which he plays, he brings out the best in others. And that's how we are to live. We are to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, that we bring out the best in one another for the glory of God. Secondly, he says that we are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not only so that we are purposeful in our conduct, but we evidence purposeful priority. Notice the last part of that verse. We will endeavor to please him in every way. We not only walk worthy of the Lord, but we have one agenda. We want to please him. We don't live to please ourselves. We don't live to please others. We live to please Jesus. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is my life pleasing to the Lord? Am I responding to others the way Jesus would respond? A number of years ago, Charles Sheldon wrote a book entitled, In His Steps. And it was a novel about a pastor and a congregation that took that question very seriously, what would Jesus do? Transform the lives of a newspaper editor, a millionaire, a billionaire, and a person that was in agriculture. It totally transformed the community. Can you just stop and think, if all of us lived our lives, what would Jesus do? What a transformation would come to Traverse City. What a transformation would come to our church. What a transformation would happen in all of our lives if we lived our lives with that as our main thought. What would Jesus do? We want to please him in every dimension. And then thirdly, when we pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, our lives will evidence purposeful service. Notice this, I love it. We will be constantly bearing fruit in every good work. Now stop and think about that for a minute. We are continuing to bear fruit. In other words, we will have a life of service when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will. You see, when we are walking in obedience to God, we don't have to be finagled into serving the Lord. We don't have to be tricked into serving Jesus. We will be so excited about serving Jesus because we want to please him more than anything else. And when that occurs, let me tell you, there is joy in serving Jesus. Notice what Paul says. He says we will do this with a sense of joy. In other words, he's talking here about moving from being a spectator to being a participant. You know, spectators, they can just kind of sit on the sidelines and they criticize everything that's going on. They know better than what anyone else is doing on the playing field. I'll be honest with you. You know, I love sports. I was involved in sports all my life. Played football and basketball, ran the hurdles and track. I did not enjoy sitting on the bench. 
Thankfully, I didn't have to spend much time on the bench. I didn't like that. And I never got a whole lot out of church by just sitting in the pew either. What, when my spiritual life took off when I was just a teenager is when I started serving Jesus, teaching a Sunday school class, working with students. I worked in the maintenance area of the church. I cleaned the johns. I mowed the grass. Anytime there was an opportunity for me to serve, I wanted to serve. And serving Jesus that way is what led me to sense the call of God. Now, almost 54 years ago, and ever since that time, I've wanted to participate. I want to make things happen for the kingdom. You know, there are three kinds of people in the church. Those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, and then those that wonder what's happened. And there's a lot of folks wondering, what's happening, what's happening? I'll just wait and see, you know, this East Bay Calvary Church, I wonder what's going on there. God's looking for participants who are growing in their understanding of the knowledge of God's will. They're serving, and it's exciting. I, I will tell you, I like to see churches that have fun. It's fun to serve Jesus. When we are living a life worthy of the Lord, and we are pleasing Him, and we are growing and developing, and our focus is on Jesus, ministry is a ball. He says we're not only going to be bearing fruit in every good work, he says we're going to also keep on growing in the knowledge of God, the last part of verse 10. Notice, growing in the knowledge of God. In other words, as we serve, our capacity for God becomes greater. And the more we grow, we begin to experience more and more of God's love and his goodness and his grace and it changes us we have a greater capacity for him as we grow in his grace so the first result of being filled with the knowledge of God's will is a life of purpose the second uh, result is a life of power look at verse 11 he says being strengthened with all power and then underline these next words in chartreuse according to his glorious might. Put a, put a big circle around the word might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully. Now, not only do we need to be praying on a daily basis that we be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not only have a capacity to know what it is, but the ability to carry out, and when we do, we'll have a life of purpose, but we'll also experience a life of power. Notice we will be repeatedly or constantly endowed with strength. In other words, whenever we face difficulty, whenever we face trials that we can't figure out, whenever our back is up against the wall and we don't know what to do, one of the things that we can rely upon when we are filled with the knowledge of His will is that we'll be strengthened to overcome the difficulties that are right in front of us not in our own strength but in the power of God on the basis of this verse when you face difficulty when you face things that you would uh, wish you didn't have to face you don't have to face those things alone 
Because as you pray to be filled with a knowledge of God's will, He will give you power and strength, not only in proportion to your need, but notice, in proportion to the divine supply according to His glorious might. Now that word might is a very interesting word. It's the very same word in the Greek which is translated uh, might in Ephesians chapter uh, 1 verses 19 and 20. I'm just going to read that for us quickly. And his incomparable great power for us who believe the power like the working of, here it is, his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, the power that's available to us is the very same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. That's great power, is it not? Goodness sakes, who wouldn't want to be strengthened with that kind of power? Now, as you look at the text closely, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking here about resurrection power. Rather, the strength he is referring to is power in proportion to God's glory. He's speaking about the manifested excellence and greatness of his revealed might. Do you understand? We are serving a mighty big God. How many of you believe that? We are serving a God who has everything under control. He knows everything that's going on. There's not a single thing that we experience that God is caught off guard. He knows everything about us. He's the mighty creator God of the universe. He's the recreator. He's the one that sent his son into the world to die on the cross for our sins. We are serving an incredibly big God. And he promises that we will be strengthened according to his glorious might, the sum total of who God is. That's the kind of power we need, is it not? I can't handle stuff on my own. When I try, I fail. But when I trust in the power of the living God as I seek him in prayer, incredible things take place. I'll never forget that special strengthening power the Lord gave me as I was finishing up my studies at Trinity. In order to graduate, I had to take a year and a half of Hebrew in six weeks. I had to go to class every single day and had a test every Saturday. And for six weeks, I, I ate, I drank, I slept Hebrew. I mean, I'd go to bed late at night and I'd be reciting the Hebrew alphabet in my sleep. Sandy thought I was speaking in tongues. I mean, it was not a pl- I mean, I, I didn't know how I was ever going to get through that class. I was tempted to give up many times. But you know what? The Lord, I just kept praying and asking God to give me help. And he strengthened me through that class. I was able to get through the class. I was able to do something that I thought I never could do because it was the power of God at work within us. And that's the power that's promised to every single one of us as Christ followers as we put our confidence in him. Now, the results of this powerful supply are twofold. Notice, we are strengthened with all might according to his glorious might. Here's here's the purpose. So that, put a circle around it, there it is again, so that you may have great endurance and patience. 
How many of us need great endurance and great patience? Do you need that this morning? Well, that was weak. Do you need that this morning? You need some endurance and you need some patience. Now, that word endurance has to do with enduring difficulty, enduring difficult circumstances, enduring hardships. When we're going through situations that are out of our control, we have questions that there's no answers. The promise here is that the power of God will strengthen us to endure even the most difficult of situations. Do you understand this? This is in the book. I, I haven't concocted this out of my head. It's right in the text. Okay? Do you understand that? It's in the book. Do you love the book? Okay, if you love the book, endurance is available. And then patience. Patience doesn't have anything to do with difficult situations. It has to do that God gives us the patience when we have to deal with difficult people. Do you have any, any individuals that kind of rub you the wrong way? That misunderstand you? That misrepresent you? What happens for most of us? We, 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 we kind of write them off. That's when we need to exude patience. And patience is this ability that God gives to us as Christ followers who are seeking God's will and prayer to be gracious in dealing with others. It's hard to be gracious, isn't it? It's difficult. We like to stand on our own two feet. We like to justify ourselves. We get ourselves to thinking that we're always right and the other person is wrong. But when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, there is a patience that is cultivated within us. So as we're filled with this wonderful power, this divine supply, he helps us to deal with difficult situations, difficult people, and then he adds the phrase, notice, with joy. You see that? Oh my goodness. Most of us do that begrudgingly. Oh man, I gotta put up, oh. Oh, it's not an easy road. Oh, poor me. I've got all this to deal with. Oh my. And we have a pity party for ourselves. No, he wants us to do it with joy. Can we say that together with With joy. Ah, there you go. <laughs> I love this. We are to endure and being patient with joy. And then thirdly, the third result of a life being filled with a knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding is a life of praise. Purpose, power, praise. Look at verses 12 and 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, growing Christ followers not only are growing with a sense of purpose and relying upon divine power, but their lives are characterized 
by thanksgiving and praise. And you'll note here we give praise to God the Father for three specific things he has done for us. Notice, number one, God makes us qualified, that is fit or competent, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you realize that as believers in Christ, we have an inheritance that money can't buy? You may not have a lot of this world's earthly goods, but let me tell you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are the richest person alive. And you have an inheritance that is right now being prepared for you. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? An inheritance. He's made us competent to enjoy an inheritance that he is preparing for us every single day. When you're tempted to get down on yourself, just remember the Father. The Father is preparing your inheritance. How can we go through life feeling bad for ourselves when an inheritance is being prepared? That's the first reason we're to praise him. Number two, we're to praise God the Father because he rescues us from the dominion of darkness. That word rescue literally means to be rescued at a critical moment. Remember when the Apollo 13 astronauts were on their way to the moon and they had that explosion in the spacecraft? They needed action immediately. Do you realize, my friend, that God the Father performed the greatest rescue in human history? when he send, sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. Jesus willingly offered himself on the cross. He laid his life down for us. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of Christ. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Once our lives were dark and, and full of evil and sin, but because we put our faith in Jesus and his finished work at the cross, we've been delivered. That ought to cause us to shout. Oh my, are you quiet? I'm used to shouting Baptists, you know. I'm, yeah. He's delivered us. There you go. I, I heard that. Well, that's good. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. He's delivered us. And number three, the, the third reason we're to praise God the Father is that he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We've changed positions from being in darkness now to being in light. You see, when we come into a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ, he takes us out of darkness and he places us into light. And we have the joy of building his kingdom. Do you realize we as Christ followers, the reason God has placed us here is not to build our own kingdoms, not to build our own reputation, but to build the kingdom of God. Do you realize this is where the church, and I'm talking about the church at large, has failed? If you take a look at all that's happening in our world today, 
Before COVID, about 20 to 25 churches closed every day in America. Since COVID, that number now is up to 40 to 45 churches close every day in America. Every day, 15 to 20 pastors leave the ministry every day in America. Of the churches that still exist, 90% of them are plateaued or they're declining. Do you know what the fastest growing religion is in America today? It's atheism. The third largest religious demographic in the United States today are what we call the nuns. N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. You have Protestants, you have Catholics, and then we have the third largest group are the nuns. And they're the young people that have written the church off. They're basically agnostic. They don't believe in anything. Everything is up for grabs. The nuns. God calls us to build his kingdom. God's given us, what, a great commandment to love each other and to love our neighbors as ourselves. He's given us the great commission to go and what? Make disciples. But what's happened in many churches is we've gotten our eyes off Jesus. And instead of building the kingdom, we've had a lot of mission, what I call mission drift, where we've gotten our eyes off Jesus and we aren't building the kingdom we're hanging on to our own little piece of the kingdom. And God says, hey, I want you to live a life of praise because number one, I've made you fit. <laughs> I, I, I've worked in your life to the point where you can actually experience my presence on a regular basis and I've delivered you from darkness. I've placed you into light to accomplish my will. Not for your glory, but so that I can be preeminent, as Paul says throughout the book of Colossians, in everything. Now secondly, he not only gives us three reasons to praise the Father, he gives us two reasons to praise the Son. Notice verse 14. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The first reason we praise the Son is that He has bought us back at a premium. You see, salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It cost Jesus His life. It cost Him everything. He's provided something that we could never, ever provide for ourselves. Redemption. He's bought us back by the payment of his own life. He did it for us. That's why we're to praise him. When was the last time you just said, Lord, thanks for my salvation? When was the last time you just said, Lord, thank you for all that you are to me in Jesus? And just thank him. And just love on, love on Jesus. When was the last time we did that? Think back this past week, your conversations your calls, the things that you thought were really important. 
did you ever stop and just say, thank you, Jesus, for the rich salvation you've given to me? One of the reasons we're to praise him. And the second reason we're to praise him, notice, is that he has forgiven us. The forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness means to send away from ourselves, to bid it go. Leviticus chapter 16, we have a beautiful picture of what forgiveness is. You remember that in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, the people would sacrifice two lambs on the altar. One was placed on the altar and became the burnt offering. That was the sacrificial lamb. But then that second lamb, it was a lamb that was known as the scapegoat. And they would take that lamb out through the congregation and they would lead it out into the wilderness, never again to return. And tradition says that when they would lead that scapegoat, that little lamb, out through the congregation, the people understood that that lamb was carrying all their sins and all their failures and all their frustrations, and they would kick at the lamb, they would spit at the lamb because they knew that lamb was carrying all that stuff away, and it would never return. It was a reminder to them that God not only forgives, but he forgets. He doesn't bring it up. You know who brings up our past sins and faults? It's the devil. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. The one that always is resurrecting the past, not the Lord Jesus. That's the enemy who wants us to get sidetracked. But when we experience the forgiveness of Jesus, I put it this way, the mark of a forgiving, of a forgiven person is a forgiving person. If we have been forgiven by God, we will extend forgiveness to others. We won't hang on to wrongs. We won't let the enemy develop any kind of a stronghold in our life that would pull us away. And let me tell you, the reason why many churches never achieve all that they can is that they've hung on to bitterness and resentment and they've allowed a lack of forgiveness to steal the joy. One of the reasons we're to praise the Son, <laughs> I love this, he's provided redemption, praise Jesus. He's provided forgiveness, praise Jesus. And we in turn, when we are filled with a knowledge of his will, we'll do the same. Let's face it. Developing a life of purpose and praise and power doesn't come easy. It comes through intentionality. There's two things that I want to say in closing. Prayer works. But we need to work at prayer. Most of us don't work at prayer. Prayer's kind of a happy thought. Oh, Lord, bless me, bless my family, take care of all this. We rush in and out of the presence. How would you like that? Your best friend, you just kind of rush in and out of their presence and 
Just kind of take them for granted. Well, let, me, let me tell you, when, when we are communing with God in prayer, it's work. It takes energy. It takes effort. And God calls us as his people. Paul says, be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need to work at prayer for prayer to work. And number two, when we do this, we are signing a declaration of dependence upon God. My friends, I don't know all that's happened in your church. I know a little bit. But I do know this, that when all of us depend upon God, we get what God can do. Not what we can do, not what we can figure out on our own. We get what God will do. But it's all dependent upon seeking God in prayer. Let's stand together for closing prayer. I want us just to take a few moments. Just bow your head. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you haven't been cultivating a consistent prayer life, ask God right now to fill you with the knowledge of his will. That you'll not only have the capacity to know God, but the ability to carry out what he reveals to you. I've said this many times to many different congregations. If I had to do my ministry over again, I would be much more sensitive to the nudges of God. And when God nudges you, when you know there's an area that you need to clean up, that's what we need to do. And so let's just spend a few quiet moments asking God to renew us and to fill us with a knowledge of His will so that we can know Him better and love Him more and that the kingdom of God here in Traverse City would be impacted by the weight that we carry by our influence, by the things that we share on social media, by our conversations, by our interactions, that people would see Jesus in all of it. And Lord, if there's attitudes that we need to surrender or things that we need to get right with you, Lord, help us to do that in the energy of the Holy Spirit who is mightily at work within us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with every single one of you. And may you continue to experience that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit who loves and lives inside each one of you forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. God is with us.